Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. And, uh, and so we've been going through the book of Matthew. If you have your phones or your Bible, uh, hard copy, we have a couple in the back too if you want to grab one. Um, we've been going through Matthew. We've been going through the entire book. We have not missed one verse uh, because we believe that every verse has value and that we're not going to act like, uh, I don't know, some people just, if you skip passages or things like that, we want to have the whole narrative understood, right? So we're in chapter five. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is actually very fitting that we're in a park because uh, Jesus at this time would be talking to he gives his longest, most words in the, in the, in the Bible, in this, in this teaching, this sermon is what they call it. And he does it on uh, what would be called like the hills. This is clearly very flat. This is actually a soccer field throughout the week. Um, so it's the sermon on the soccer field. But uh, he, what he's doing is he's drawing in people who are starting to follow him. They're starting to wonder, who is this guy and what is he doing? And, uh, and so he would have this group of disciples, as they would call them, but the, the 12, his 12 weren't really formed yet. So it's this group of people that were just following him. And then all these other people started to gather, people that are going to the playground, people that are walking by, people that are biking, whatever. They're, they're starting to gather around. They're hearing what he's saying. And uh, it was really cool when we started planning this. It was kind of last minute because we wanted to have the middle scores be a part of our service. Normally we meet in the evening. And, and I thought, let's just let's meet in the park. And then we're covering what I think would probably be the most compelling part of Jesus' sermon that he would give publicly. And so we're, we're covering that today, and it's all about love. And um, when I think about love, I was trying to think about, like, Who's like the most loving person that I know? And I feel like I have to probably say my family or my wife, or which she is great. You're great, babe. But uh, I was thinking like that everyone else would know. If you maybe don't know Sarah very well, uh, there's this guy named Bob Goff. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, his story is crazy. I couldn't even probably do it justice. He's like he was a lawyer, and then uh, he's like just goes around and speaks and motivates people to love. He has a book called Love Does. It's like the best book ever if you've ever read it. Uh, and he honestly makes you. It's so good that it makes you feel bad because you're like, man, I'm just not even close to Bob Goff. Um, but anyways, he he is the, uh, the I think the the counsel to Uganda. He also has his office in Disney Disneyland. So you can meet with him in Disneyland, which is just, he's just like, he's very crazy and goofy and fun. And uh, anyways, he told this story when I saw him speak publicly one time where there was a, uh, another counselor, ambassador, you know, they all have kind of similar offices in D.C. together and stuff like that. And, and there, there had been one that came in from a country, uh, I don't know the exact country, but let's just say it was a country that Americans are not too fond of. And, uh, and so he came in and, uh, and no one wanted to talk to him. Everybody treated him badly. They were very short with him. They wouldn't like talk to him. And, you know, he moves the whole way here to be kind of this ambassador and he's lonely. And, and so what does Bob Goff do? He orders the man just tons and tons and tons of Domino's pizza. <laughs> He, uh, he goes online and, you know, you can, like, watch what, like, what step your pizza's on, you know, and, and he just orders, like, hundreds, just keeps shipping them to him in his office. And, and I just, I thought about that story and I thought about, like, obviously this is ridiculous, right? Like, let's just spend hundreds of dollars on Domino's pizza. Um, and, I mean, there are six dollars of pizza, so maybe it's not that much. But, uh, but he just sends this guy tons of pizzas, right? No one else would talk to him. And the guy, you know, at the end of the day, like, came back to him was just, like, so loved. Obviously, he didn't eat all the pizza, but... It was just like, who would do this, right? What kind of person does this? Everyone else has hated me. No one wanted to give me a chance. And uh, Bob Goff just orders him tons of pizzas. And I thought about that story, and I thought about, you know, at what point in our brains, in our bodies, in our, our will, our spirit, do we have to get to the point where we think, no one likes that guy. I'm going to do something nice for him. Like, at what point do we get to that place? And, and what we find in the Bible is that this was Jesus' DNA 100% of the time. 
And it's almost overwhelming because then we try to do the same thing and we, 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 someone cuts us off in traffic and we can't, even, we can't even love them. They're our enemy and we want to tailgate them or pull them over and do something mean to them. Uh, but we can't even do that, right? If we can't even do that, we can't even do the person who cuts us in, in, cuts in line. Like, how are we going to really deeply love people when things get hard? In fact, one of my greatest fears, and I'm just going to be honest with you guys about meeting in a park, is that I'm just worried someone's going to show up and be like, you guys need to leave. We'd hate you. Sh shut you down. And, uh, and, or, you know, we're being too loud. I don't know. There's some houses up there. But, um, but I thought about it. It's like, okay, what's the response? You know, what's the response if someone came and, like, started screaming at us or whatever, rioted? I don't know. And, well, we, we love them well, and we, we, we don't hate our enemies. We love them. We pray for them. And so our response would be, hey, we have a free coffee bar over here. We'd love for you to have one. Uh, and I just think about those type of things in our world. If you've had enemies in your life and you think about, like, maybe you don't have this, like, mortal enemy. Some of you middle scores, maybe like in dodgeball, you have this mortal enemy that just hits you in the face all the time and you want nothing to do with them. Maybe us, more of us grown-ups are more like, uh, you know, we have a coworker who we just really just can't stand. It makes our work really not fun. Or we have this neighbor who's just always mad because we're just, we're, you know, we're mowing just a little bit into their lawn and it's just not the right path that they want to mow or whatever it may be, right? We have these enemies. Maybe they're not trying to kill you, but they're trying to, they just make your life hard. And... Uh, I was thinking about this, and I, so I started to think about my enemies. I'd actually encourage you right now, as I'm talking for the next minute or two, think about maybe there's someone or uh, maybe it's not even a person. Maybe it's like a corporation. Maybe it's a country. Maybe it's a political party. Maybe it's uh, someone who's wronged me, who disagree with me on social media. And they're my – honestly, I feel like that's where most of our enemies are. They're on social media, and they said something they disagree with. Or, uh, or maybe, um, maybe they're like, you know, uh, maybe they're a family member, you know? Maybe someone in your family has just been your enemy for like for a very long time. You don't talk to them or you can't stand what they say or whatever it may be. And and we're in this spot where it's so much energy. We we feel so much emotion around it that sometimes we just we're better off just to stiff arm it. Like I don't want to go there. I won't go to this place. I won't shop here. I won't talk to these type of political people. I won't whatever because it's much easier than to engage in what would be the pain or the anger or the frustration of these people. And what we see in Jesus and what he's doing when he's talking on the sermon on the soccer field is that he's drawing in the very people that nobody wants to be a part of. He's drawing in the people who are disabled, who are sick, who are lonely, who are outcasts, who are poor, who are uh, maybe even tax collectors who are wealthy but are culturally hated. He's drawing in all of these people and he's loving them radically. And, uh, and so today I want to talk about this idea of what Jesus calls enemy love. It's loving your enemies. And uh, if you've heard about it and you've wondered, like, does that really work? Um, maybe you've heard of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he's, he's an incredible, he was an incredible fighter for enemy love. Uh, or maybe even Gandhi, who uh, started an entire revolution just because he fasted for a week or two. And these guys ha ha were not violent. They did not um, carry weapons. They did not fight. They were incredibly peaceable to the point where it drove people crazy. But at the end of the day, we look back at their impact and we think these people truly embodied uh, something radical. And so today I want us to look at Matthew 5. Um, we'll start in verse 43. It says this. It says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so what he's doing here, if you look in your Bible, if you look just above it, there's about six of these. He's saying the same thing. He's saying, you've heard it said, and he's going to say, but I tell you. And so what he's doing is he's saying, here's the culture. Here's the life that you live in. Here's what you think you know. Um, and some of them were rooted in what the, the Jews were following, the law. They had these rules they had to follow. And this one specifically, he's quoting um, from a passage in uh, Leviticus 19. I'm just going to read it, and you can listen and, and, and hear what you think it says. It says, you must not deal unjustly in judgment. You must neither show partiality to the poor or nor honor the rich. You must 
judge your fellow citizen fairly. You must not go about as a slanderer among your people. You must not stand idly by when your wife's, your neighbor's life is at stake. I am the Lord. You must not hate your brother in your heart. You must sincere, uh, surely reprove your fellow citizens so that you not incur sin on account of them. You must not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people, but you must love your neighbor as yourself. And so they, they get this passage, and what do we do as humans? We just, we just, we basically take shrink wrap and we just suck it until it's so small that we can get around it. And so at this point, uh, the Jewish people believe that their neighbors were basically only the same people as them, meaning like the other Jewish people or literally their physical left or right neighbor. And when you're, you know, when you live in a farm, that's pretty far away even. So basically they didn't have to love anyone because it didn't apply to that many people. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, you've heard that. And then he talks about hating your enemy. It's actually was never written in the Bible to hate your enemy, but the culture they had built was, well, if my neighbor are only these few people, then I can hate all the rest of these people, right? And this is going on at Jesus' time. In fact, when he's giving this speech, most likely uh, had he have given them 30 minutes to just take a break while he was getting a drink or whatever, people would probably start fighting because the people in this group were so different that they would have probably been arguing with people who they wouldn't have wanted there. You know, it, it would be like the tax collector who just took all your money and made your family homeless is standing 15 feet from you, probably listening to Jesus' words. And so he's saying this in the midst of people who are like, you're not my neighbor. Like, that's for sure. I don't like you. And, and, um, and so when he, when he starts talking, he does this thing where he, he draws people in. And, um, and it's, what we, it's what we call uh, the Beatitudes, if you've heard of them. They're essentially like, here's the people who are blessed. And he draws this wide, beautiful umbrella of the people who are very first in what we know as Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom is basically just uh, his rule on earth around us. And so he's like, here's, here's all the people who are going to access that. And everybody gets excited. And they're like probably drooling because, like I said, they're outcasts or the people who we don't want to associate with. And then he gives these five, and then this is the sixth, really hard teachings. He says, you've heard it said, and it was, they were already not following it very well. And then what he does is he draws the, the line even, even harder, even harsher. And, and at the end of the day, though, a lot of people read it and they get really frustrated. They say, well, this is impossible. I couldn't even love my physical neighbors, let alone not hate my enemies. And now you're telling me I have to do something even, even greater, even deeper. But think about it. Think about it like this. Imagine the world, the kingdom that Jesus is painting. So several weeks ago, we talked about how uh, you shouldn't murder, right? We probably know that, right? But Jesus says, even deeper, you shouldn't have murder in your heart. You shouldn't have anger in your heart towards another brother in a sinful way. Uh, he says that you shouldn't even, uh, obviously, you shouldn't commit adultery. Um, but, but he also says, don't lust in your heart. Don't covet after women or men in your heart. And so he's taking these lines, and he's making them even deeper. But we think about, and, and think about a kingdom, a, a world, a city, if you will. We all moved there, and none of these things happened. Families did not divorce. They didn't break up. Kids weren't separated. People didn't fight over money and wealth. People didn't sue each other for every little thing. They didn't take advantage of slaves and, and, and all these types of the things that the world does today. Like, imagine a kingdom like that. And at the end of the day, it it's almost seems far-fetched, one. But two, it seems like the best thing in the world. And so Jesus is giving us this really high standard, but at the end of the day, we think about the kingdom that he's painting, the, the vision that he has, and it's what we all want. It's what everybody actually wants, whether or not they're willing to believe in, in, in how we get there. Um, but if you think about a world with no violence, no, no ma malice, no anger towards people, no injustice, it would be a beautiful world. In fact, I think politicians would be bored. <laughs> we would have nothing to talk about. And, and so he does this, and, and he gives them this response, and he says in verse uh, 44, 
He says, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. This is, this is him basically saying, hey, your neighbor is not this little sliver of people. It's literally everyone. Your neighbor is, is the other image bearer of God that is across your fence, that is across the country line, that is, that is in work that you can't stand, that is whatever, right? And he's saying this, and I imagine that people were really excited for this kingdom that he was drawing. We got really excited, and then all of a sudden he says this, and he says these other things, and they're like, okay, this is, this is too much. This is crazy. I can't, I can't do this. In fact, uh, just before this passage last week, Jerry talked about um, Jesus in retaliation. He was saying, hey, when you've been wronged, you actually don't get revenge. Your, your retaliation is, in fact, to love them even greater. And he gives a, a few different uh, examples one is let's just say you're you're let's just say you're a first century Jewish person and you're you, you haven't made a lot of money and you have to go pay taxes to Rome because they are they own your like area, right? And if you don't pay, bad things happen, very bad things. You don't just get kicked off social media, you might get your kneecaps broken. And uh, and you don't have the money and so he you know, he just he just backhands you in front of everyone, which is in that culture the most shameful thing that you could do. And he just backhands you because you don't have the money. And you're standing there, and now in that moment, you have to figure out, what am I going to do? Or there's another instance where, um, you know, you're on a nice date. We're at the park with our family. Maybe we're just, we're here right now. And all of a sudden, this troop of Roman soldiers comes, and they just start throwing all, everyone their bags. And they say, carry this. And in that law, you had to take their bags at least a mile to wherever they were going. It was required. And so you're trying to have a good time, and the Roman soldiers show up. And if you don't do it, tough luck. Like, they might kill you. And so he says he's going to ruin your family's day off and, and says, take this amount. What do you do in that moment? I have a more uh, hit-home version for you middle scorers. Actually, also, to be honest, this is more for me as an adult. Uh, if you've ever done the Halloween thing where you decide, you know what, we're not going to be here today. We're going to lay low. And you put out the bowl of candy. You know where I'm going with this? And you say, take one. Have you ever done that? I've done that, and uh, it will be gone in 10 minutes. And you know that there was not 100 people there. You know that there was five middle schoolers or high schoolers that did not listen to the sign, and they took all of the candy. And uh, imagine that you're standing there, and, and you open the door, and here's these two high schoolers. Uh, they're not even in costumes. And, and they, they take, they're just loading up candy, and you're standing there, and you watch them, and they see you, and they look up. What do you do in that moment? Right? There's these moments in our lives. They're subtle. Some of them are bigger. And, and, and here's what I want to ask you. In all of those scenarios, in that moment, how do you feel? Angry, right? Probably. Frustrated. Uh, surprised. You don't feel happy. You're not like, yay, this is great. All that candy's gone for all the little kids who need it. You get angry in that moment. Your feeling is angry. And so Jesus is saying enemy love in those moments is something much greater. But at the end of the day, a lot of times we like to define love as only a feeling. And and so uh, this is kind of nerdy, but in, in the, um, in the English, English language, we have one word for love. And so you could say, man, I like love Chipotle, which like I really do love Chipotle, right? And you know that I, if you've been around with me, you know I love Chipotle. But I also could say like I love my wife and I love my daughter. And for you to compare those to equal would be pretty bad. If I was to love my wife and daughter as much as Chipotle, that would be not so good, right? Uh, or you say, like, I love this TV show, or I love this movie, or I love this car, or whatever, right? We have different levels of what love means. And as Americans, we've, we've probably, like, heard enough. We try to gauge what they mean by who they are, right? But unfortunately, in, in our language, we have one word for love, whereas other cultures have several different words for love. And in fact, uh, in, the, in their language, the Bible language, uh, biblical language, the Greek, they had four words for love. 
So if you wanna if you wanna try to use these in in uh, English, that would be great. But the first one, real quick, is eros, which is like sensual, romantic attraction. I could say like I love my wife's eyes, and you're like, oh, like it's like romantic, like that's that's beautiful, right? Then there's storge, which is like family love. That's when you have an affectionate bond between maybe your kids, right? Your brother, your sister. You love your sister, and you, you probably know that you love them deeper than just Chipotle or pizza or whatever. Then there's uh, philia, which is uh, emotional bond. So this is like deep, deep friendship. So like your best friend, right? You love them. And, and the thing is, what's so unique about these is like they would use these when they were supposed to be used. So people would hear that word and they'd know like, oh, I know what you mean by that. For us, like I said, love is just thrown around all the time. But the last one and probably the most powerful one is agape. And agape love is, is really only used when, when we're, when in the Bible when we're referring to God because it's unconditional. It has no condition, no circumstance that would affect or reduce it. It's this just unconditional love. And so guess what word Jesus uses, which form of love he uses in this verse? He uses agape. And he gives us this high calling. And so in the moment, we feel anger, hatred, whatever we feel, right? In that moment, we can't do anything about it. But in the long run, we know that Love is not just a feeling. It's, it's an attitude. It's an action. And so when you get slapped in the side of your face, uh, th- you don't want to love that person in any way. But he's saying, hey, you know, you talk to the tax collector and you say, hey, maybe you had a rough day. Maybe you haven't gotten a lot of money today and you're worried about your boss. Here's the other one. Go ahead. Slap the other one. Or maybe when the Roman soldier gives you his bags and you got to leave your family for a mile and you got to go walk it and come back, that you decide, you know what, maybe this Roman soldier had a tough day. Maybe he had to run in with some people and his friends got beat up or something. I'm going to take that to your doorstep. Or with the Halloween candy, you know, you open the door and these kids are taking it all and you just say, hey, you know what, if you need more, I got more in the back that I can give to you. And you think about the, the, the bad person in all these situations. What are they going to do? I mean, it's like, it's, it's, being a doormat is not what is being said here. It doesn't mean you just stand there and you just take it. That's actually a weak response. The powerful response is being able to love them in the midst of, of enemy love, or enemy anger. And I just think about the world of, of these people, and it's like, what will they do when you give these high school kids more candy? It's, they're they're going to walk away, like, and maybe they're like, whatever, more candy, yay. But, but a lot of times, they're, they're, the response to that is incredibly life-changing, Martin Luther King uh, says these words. He says, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And so in that, I just, I think about that. It's like, this is our only response. That we, our only response is love. And at the end of the day, if people hate us for loving them and praying for them, then that is, that is what happens. Um, but if we think about these stories, it, we know that it, it, it can change people's lives. Uh, the last few verses... He shows you the way to this. He says in verse 45, uh, he says, You do this so that you'll be like your father in heaven. And since he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same, don't they? And if you only greet your brothers, what more do they do? Even the Gentiles do the same, don't they? And so he says, look, it rains on everyone. Fortunately, it didn't rain today. We prayed for that. Praise God. (laughs) But uh, he's like, look, good and bad things happen to everyone on earth. He's like, but what is it if you, love, if you only love the people that are like you, if you only love the people that are your friends, your family, or your literal neighbor that believes all the same things as you do? It's not, even the worst people, even criminals in jail, even gangs, gangs love people better than us sometimes in their own gang, right? But he's like, it's, it's, it's not among you. You're called to a higher standard. And he, he uses this last verse 
And I just want to close with this. He says, so then, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he closes all these statements as if we already didn't feel like this was crazy enough. He says this, and we think about it, and we're like, great, now all of that, and we'll be perfect like God, but we know, like, you could try that for 10 minutes, and you're going to fail. And, and so what that leaves us to and what that kind of closes with is, is what, at the end of the day, we're drawing our source of love from. And that's from Jesus, and that's from his sacrifice. And um, as I invite the band up, you guys can come up. Um, I want to close with one of my favorite stories in, uh, in the Bible. And, and we, we think about, okay, I, I, I'm called to love my enemies, pray for them, right? Um, but it's really, really hard, and I know I can't do it. I know I'm going to fail. And then on top of that, Jesus says, you should be perfect like I am perfect. And, and so we realize, okay, he's, he's calling us to draw our source from something other than ourselves. And so there's this story um, towards the end of uh, the gospel where uh, Jesus is being taken to be crucified. And it says this. It says, when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they did not know what they are doing. And to me, this is like, I, sometimes we read, because we're just so like, oh, it's crucifixion. We're reading to the resurrection, right? The good part. But, I mean, reading this verse in the context, can you imagine whipping someone and just drawing flesh out of their back and then praying for you? I mean, that just, ma- I mean, I just can't even imagine it. I can't imagine them mocking him, kicking him. He's lonely. They're making fun of him. And he's praying for the very people who are inflicting massive amounts of pain on him in that moment. And, and you, you look at Jesus' story, and the man up until his death is just is, is, is yearning to pray for his enemies, for the people who are wronging him. And so in the same way, we, were, you know, we are those enemies, and that his prayer for them and for us has been, has been um, fulfilled in his sacrifice. And so what, what's crazy about him doing this, and I said, like, what is our reaction whenever, you know, you experience someone who loves you in the midst of you hurting them. It's this right here in verse 44. It says, It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And because the sunlights failed, the temple curtain was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud spirit, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion, who the guy who was like watching him die, saw what had happened, here's what he does. He praises God. And he says, certainly this man was innocent. All of the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had happened, they returned home beating their breasts. Everybody there knew exactly what had happened. Enemy love completely trans- just transformed all of their souls, like all their lives. Like they're just like, oh my gosh, we did, like, we did this. How dare we? We did this. And a centurion had watched thousands of people die, and he'd never seen a man die like that. And he's like, this man was truly who we say he is. So as we close uh, today, we always do... We offer what we call um, the bread and cup or communion, maybe if, if you've heard it. And uh, this is an opportunity just for us to remind ourselves of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so uh, there's communion cups back there at the table um, if you want to grab one, if you already have one. And uh, we're going to give you just like a minute of time to take that if you'd like. No pressure if you don't want to. We offer it every Sunday. Uh, and then we're going to close in uh, one more song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.